So this week, we are in week seven of Fruits of the Spirit. And I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> when I started the Fruits of the Spirit section, I didn't realize. Like, obviously, you know, you can count and you can see that there are nine Fruits of the Spirit. But I also didn't realize that that meant that the series, if I do one a week, would be nine weeks, like literally a little over two months. And that's okay. Um, it's actually good because it's given me time to really dive into these fruits of the spirit. And the deep dive that I've ended up doing has been so much more personal than I anticipated when I started. So like I said in the last episode, or maybe two episodes ago, I picked fruits of the spirit because that is what I needed to work on. Like that's where God was pushing me. And so I know in one of them, I mentioned how it's crazy that all of the fruits of the spirit are also the things that God has promised I will be yielding as a fruit from my tree. If I'm planted um, like a tree by a river bearing fruit in all seasons, the fruit I will be bearing are love, peace, joy, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control. Um, and so I have been convicted in my studying of this series. I've been convicted in just the learning that I'm having to do to get through this series to really get the sermon to myself. And this one is probably one of the more difficult ones. I've been putting it off, to be completely honest. It's not that I've avoided it. It's not that I um, am ignoring it. I've just been putting it off because I wasn't sure that I was the right person. And to be completely honest, I'm still not sure if I'm the right person to talk about this in any type of public form. And even more than that, it's something I'm still struggling with. And I don't, I don't want to say struggling as in I don't have it or I'm not able to practice or I'm not able to live in this fruit of the spirit, but struggling as when I have to actually think about it actively. Struggling to mean I'm, I act, actively have to focus on whether or not I am using this fruit of the spirit well and what it even means to use this fruit of the spirit. Every time I think about this particular fruit of the spirit, I get very conflicted on what it actually is, what it actually means, how I'm actually supposed to practice it. And I feel like I'm not the only one. And so this week when I was struggling to figure out what I'm actually going to talk about, what actually is God telling me? Um, because just to be completely honest, I, I have created a rift between me and God by not seeking him the way I should, by not going to him the way I should, by not really seeking out and separating time just to meditate and read the Bible and listen to him and talk to him the way I was doing early on. And it's mostly because he's blessed me with opportunities. And like many of us, when God blesses us with opportunities, I put those opportunities above what God had already told me to do. I put those opportunities to the forefront 
And I did that at the sacrifice of some of my God time. And so I am working on figuring out a way to always, and it, it, it sounds simple, but I'm living it, right? And I'm sure some of you are living it as well. It's not easy to, like, it's both easy and not easy to say, I'm just going to put God first in all things. Before I make any decision, I'm going to pray. Yeah, but we make hundreds of thousands of decisions every day. So I'm supposed to pray hundreds of thousands of times. That sounds good, but okay, Jesus, I'm at the stoplight. Do I put on my blinker or no? Okay, Jesus, I'm turning. Should I look or no? Okay, Jesus, I'm in the car. Do I put my seatbelt on or am I okay? Okay, Jesus, I'm about to put it. Do I need to speed or should I put it in cruise control at the speed limit, which really means I'm be going two or three miles under the speed limit, Jesus. Okay, just Jesus, I think it's time for me to leave now. Should I actually go to work today? Like, going to him in all things. Yes, the Bible says you can. Yes, the Bible says you should. But I also think part of that is just knowing what God wants for you, right? Living godly. And we know what that is in most of our decisions, right? Should I cuss this person out or not? That's not a question for Jesus. We know we shouldn't. And so, you know, should I follow the law? Yeah, yeah, of course you should. So little things like that obviously aren't difficult, but the bigger decisions, right? Like, oh, I got this job on an interview. Should I stop and pray about it? Okay, I didn't get this job. What does that mean for me, Jesus? Is this a sign that I should be doing something else? If I should be, what am I? What is that something else? Hey, Jesus, I just finished this, this, and this in preparation for the next step of my life. Or is this in line with your purpose for me and your plan for me? And so today we're going to talk about faithfulness. And faithfulness, like I said, has been very difficult for me to work up to just because I didn't completely understand it. I thought of faithfulness as like just being full of faith in all things. But as I started reading some of the scriptures and some of the times that God and Jesus talk about faithfulness, I realized that faithfulness is a lot more than just having faith and practicing faith, but it's also stewardship which surprisingly is not a fruit of the spirit until you get to faithfulness, right? Faithfulness is stewardship. So before we get started, like we do every week, I'm going to reread our main scripture, which is Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and meekness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So we've already done, like I said, script um, sermons to myself on love, on joy, on peace, on kindness, on goodness, on gentleness or meekness, and on now faithfulness. So the first thing I thought about when I heard faithfulness was clearly one that actually doesn't have faithful in it. But it's the only it's the first scripture about faith that I remember learning, and that's faith without works is dead. And that always conflicted me 
once I really started, so not always, but once I really started getting into the Bible, once I really started meditating and studying it for myself, Faith Without Works is Dead confused me because part of having faith is also being patient. Part of having faith is also just waiting on the Lord. Part of having faith is also just, I don't want to say inactivity, but it's patient activity. It's doing what God told you to do last until he tells you what to do next. And so for me, someone who likes action, someone who, when I get an idea, I want to start that idea that day. And that's, I still, I believe that's kind of why, and we'll get into this a little bit later too. I believe that's kind of why God is still not giving me all of the resources that he's promised me because I still have a tendency to jump the gun when I get an idea. And so I'll hear something and it'll be from God. Like I believe a lot of the things I'm hearing are from God. So I'll hear something from God and God is just showing me the vision And I try to make it a a reality right now today. And God has had to tell me several times, oh, whoa, 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 that's not, like, it's a little fast. You're you're moving a little fast, y'all. Slow down. (laughs) Like, we're not there yet. There's steps you have to take. There's things you have to go through. There's people you have to meet. There's friendships and relationships and connections that you have to forge before you can get to that vision that I'm showing you, that promise that I'm showing you. And that's difficult for me. And so I think God has been working on me with not patience with other people, but patience with myself and patience with my vision and patience patience with my gumption, patience patience with my get up and go. He's saying, "I, I need you to not necessarily wait on me, but I need you to go one step at a time. I need you to do just what I've told you to do right now. You can't do everything to make the vision. You have to do what I told you to do right now. And that may be, hey, text that person every day for two weeks just to ask them how they're doing and check up on them. It may be Go get dinner from there every day for the next month because eventually someone's going to stop you and ask you what you do to be able to afford that dinner every day or someone's going to stop and ask you why you get that same dinner every day and you're going to say, I don't know, God told me to. And that's going to build a conversation, start a conversation that that person needs to have and that is going to help you get to the next level of where you're going. And those aren't specifics for my life, but it's just, it it can be that simple. And so listening to follow God's instructions is something that I know he's working on me or working on in me. And that is faithfulness. And so it's been hard for me to get here because I am still working on it. And I wouldn't say I'm like, Like, if this is a classroom, 
I'm not at the, okay, we're ready to be tested phase. I'm at the send me home with homework phase. Like, I understand the concept of faithfulness. The same way a kid understands the concept of multiplication. Like, it's just super addition. It, it's adding in multiples. So, it's not just two plus two, but two times two is two, two times. You know, five times 50 is five 50 times. And so I have to add five 50 times. So I understand the concept. That don't mean I'm always get the right answer. And that's where I am right now with faithfulness. And so I want to look first at Luke 16, 10 and 12. And in Luke 16, 20, 10 and 12, it says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in very much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will trust you to the, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And this was so heavy to me when I read it for the first time. And I actually have heard it a few times from Pastor Mike and a few other pastors. But when I read it, because hearing something and reading something is different to me. So when I read it, that first dependent clause, the one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. That let me know that faithfulness is stewardship right and just just because i know stewardship is a is a bigger concept than i'm making it out to be so let me actually break that down for a second stewardship is managing what god has given you to the best of your ability so a good steward would always look over whatever it is he's managing whether that be a shepherd with a flock whether that be a teacher with students, whether that be a business manager with its employees or an owner with the business, whatever it is, a good steward is going to make sure that not only do you not lose, but you gain. So if, if, if you are given, if you're a good steward of money, if you're given $100 to take care of three things, not only do you get the things taken care of, but you get them done efficiently cost-wise, efficiently time-wise, and everything is taken care of. So you don't just take care of them, but you take care of them to the best of your ability. That's what a good steward would do. So, I mean, I have to go back to the parable that Jesus tells when he talks about he gives the the owner is going on a trip the man is going on a trip a long trip and so he has three people he gives 10 i want to say silver coins to one person five to another and one to another and the person with 10 doubled it and got back and came back with 20. the person with five came back with five uh 10 and the person with one buried it instead of doubling it so that nothing would happen and came back with just one and so 
the owner, the master took the one from the person and gave it to the person with 10. And that parable basically says the good steward is always going to double the good, not always going to double. The good steward is always going to enhance what it is they're watching over. Whatever it is you entrust me with, when I bring it back to you, it's going to be better than it was before. I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that this does not lose value, but gains value. And if you know anything about finance, you know that a dollar today is worth less a dollar than a dollar a year from now. So if I give you a dollar, go on a long trip and come back and you still only have the one dollar and you give me that one dollar back, you've actually lost money because I could have put that same one dollar into a bank in just our regular government system and come back and had a dollar and three cents. Or maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like it, it will accrue interest. So giving it to you and getting it back the exact same way means I've actually lost value, not gained it. Whereas if I give it to you and you come back and you've doubled it, now I've gained tremendous value. And so that's what a good steward does. And so when it says one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much, not only do I hear stewardship, but I also hear circumstance. Someone who is faithful to God when they don't have anything, tithing their 10%, praying to him every day, going to him in all things, really leading, a, like being generous to others, giving out of what they have, sometimes giving out of what they don't have, sacrificial giving, really doing for others and living a Christ-like life. When you have little, God then gives you more because if you'll give away the little you have, you'll also give away the lot you have. If you will steward over the little you have productively, right? If you budget your $20,000 budget, $20,000 a year budget, and you budget it well and are coming out with a savings and a giving fund and all of these things, right? If you, if you get $20,000 a year and you're tithing $2,000 and you're giving away $2,000 and you're saving $2,000, and so you're only living on 14,000. Well, when you get 2 million, God has faith that you will tithe 200,000, save 200,000, give away 200,000, and live on 1.4 million. And then when you do that, well, he said, okay, well, I can give you 2 billion because you'll give away 200 million, your tithe. 200 million you'll save 200 million and then you'll live on 1.4 billion so he if you if you have a little and you're faithful in your little and you're stewarding over your little when i give you a lot i promise i know i i can assure that you will also be faithful in and generous generous with your lot and then it gives me a it, it gives me like a shift, right? It says, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And that made me think, so dishonesty and faithfulness are opposite. Which means faithfulness can not only equal stewardship, but it also equals honesty. 
If you are faithful in a lot, then you are, if you are faithful in a lot, you are also honest in a lot. If you are faithful in a little, you are also honest in a little. Because it says, but one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in a lot. So what does that look like to be dishonest in a little? If you lie to people now about what you have and don't have, when you get a lot, you'll lie to people then about what you have and don't have. So if, some, if you have $20 in your pocket, all ones, and the homeless man not, comes up to your car door and says, can I have anything? And you let down the window a crack. And, I'm sorry, I don't have no cash. When you have $200 in your pocket, when you have $2,000 in your pocket, when you have 20000 when you have 200000 when you have $2 million in your pocket, when someone is in need, you still won't give. See, a lot of people live under this facade. When I get it, I'm going to give it to everybody. When I when I'm able to when I'm able to give and have I I'ma just give money away to people. Right? When I when I have two million dollars, when God blesses me with a million dollars, I'ma buy my mama a house, I'ma buy my daddy a car, I'ma buy my okay. But that's if he blesses you with a million dollars. But when he blessed you with a hundred dollars. And your mama asked you for 20. You, you, you went off on this rant about how she's the parent and you're the child and she's supposed to take care of you and, and this, that, and that. So what makes you think that when you have a million, you'll do anything just because you have more? Because what, what, what did uh, Big, Big Papa say? More money, more problems. Realistically, more money, more bills. The more money you have, the more money you're spending. The more responsibilities you have, that that money goes with. So when when you have a hundred dollars, most people only have a hundred dollars worth of bills to pay. And I know that y'all are like, what do you mean a hundred dollars worth of bills? Okay, when you're a teenager and you work your part time job and you're getting three hundred dollars a week or twelve hundred dollars a month. You feel like you have an abundance because with your $1,200 a month, you only have, you know, a $100 phone bill. You know, your parents may make you pay your $300 insurance. So that's $400 of your $1,200. If, you, if you're being a good steward of your money, you, that's $120 in tithes. If you're saving 10%, that's $120 in savings. So that's $640, you have $560 left to play with. So you're good when you're a teenager. That's $560 left. You don't have no real bills. Then you become an adult and you have to pay rent and you have to pay a car note maybe plus your insurance and your phone bill. And notice I haven't added food. I'm just talking the bare minimum, bare, bare minimum. So, so you, you have, let's say you have a roommate and you have $800 rent. And let's say you got a really cheap car, so you have a $200 car note. Same $300, $400 car insurance. 
So that's six, that's 1400 right there, $100 phone bill, that's 1500 Well, if you still have that same $1,200 job a month, you're negative $300 every month. So you, can't, you have to get an upgrade to a job. Okay, so you, now you get a job that's paying you $500 a week instead of $300 a week. So you upgrade, right? You, you, you now I'm making $2,000. So now you have $500 to play with. See how it's about the same? Th then you get, you get a, older and you have kids. Well, daycare is $200 a week or $800 a month. Now you can't have a roommate because you have a child. So let's say your rent by itself is now the $1,600. Your car note, let's say you have the same cheap car, $200, $300 for insurance. But you also now have to have health insurance for your child. So that's another $100 a month. So now you're looking at $3,000. So your same $2,000 a month job, you'd be negative $1,000. So let's say, okay, now you're making $900 a week or $3,600 a month. $1,600 rent, $400 insurance, that's two grand. $300 card or $200 card note, that's $2,200. $800 for daycare, that's three grand. $100 for your phone bill, it's $3,100. Insurance for you and your baby, that's $100, $3,200. So now with $800 to play with, right? Or no, sorry, $400 to play with. Still about the same. Except if you're tired, then now you're tired in 360. Now you got about forty dollars to play with, and 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 so when you get more, you make more, and usually it's I make more, so I spend more. But a lot of times, especially for some of us younger people, it's I spent more, so now I have to figure out a way to make more. I'm spending more, so I have to make more. I have to earn more. And God says. If you just do it over what you have, if you're just honest with what you have, if you just take care of what you have, remember to give me the first 10% and then budget the rest. Don't go spend $500 if you only have $40 to play with. You know, give me tithe, separate rent, separate car notes, separate insurance, separate health insurance. Separate food, separate gas. And then look at what you have to spend. Make sure you're saving for your rainy day. And then figure out what it is you have left over. That's called stewardship. That's called faithfulness. And if you're able to manage your little, then you'll be abundant. I will bless you with abundance because I know you can manage it. And then he keeps going. He says, 
If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? So he then separates wealth from true riches. What is unrighteous wealth? This is the part that really took me a little bit. And to be completely honest, it gave me a little pause because I, I said to myself, why would God allow someone who is unrighteous to have wealth? And so to understand unrighteous wealth, you have to go back a little bit further. And this is Jesus giving a parable to a group of people about how the wealthy should interact. And it's about stewardship more than anything. But at the end of this parable in verse 9, he says to them, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. And what I heard when I read that, what I saw when I read that, was not just about stewardship, but it's with this money that you've gotten, it doesn't matter how you got the money. Once you have the money, use it to help other people. Because worldly or unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth, unrighteous wealth, ungodly wealth, finances that come from the earth, finances that come from the source of the earth will run out. The wealth that God has for you is eternal. Heaven is not going to recede. It's not, there's not going to be a recession in heaven. God has an abundance, an unlimited amount of resource to give out, unlike the world. And so when he says unrighteous wealth, he's just saying your earthly funds will run out. It may not even be in your lifetime. Like Bill Gates will never run out of money. Jeff Bezos will never run out of money in his lifetime. But what Jesus is telling these people, make sure that you're giving to those who are less fortunate. Make sure you are giving to those who don't have. Make sure you are giving to those that live without. Because when your money runs out, those will be the people who have to pick you up. Basically, on your way up, Make sure you're helping the people because they're going to have to help you on your way down. As hard as climbing is physically, it is much less scary than falling. Going up a mountain is much easier than coming down one, mentally. Physically, it's harder to go up the mountain. Mentally, it's harder to come down. Physically, it's harder to climb a rock. Mentally, it's harder to do that repel down the side of the mountain with just that rope holding you mentally physically it's very difficult to get up into that plane and get up in the sky and put the parachute on and off mentally it's much more difficult to jump out of one and so what he's saying you're gonna need people helping you back down because it's a harder thing to do to fall from grace than it is to climb to it so while you're up here, while you have this unlimited amount of wealth, while you have this ungodly, unrighteous wealth, help others. And so then we get back to our scripture. Where it says, if you have not been faithful in your unrighteous wealth, 
Meaning if you haven't been giving to others, if you haven't been helping others, why would anyone trust you with the godly wealth, with the true riches? If you didn't do what I told you to do on earth with your money, why would I give you eternal life and streets paved with gold and a room and a mansion with many rooms? Why, why would I give you peace and prosperity forever if you can't give back to people in need with your, with your earthly money, earthly money that burns, earthly money that can be taken at any time? And then he says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And this is the part that's convicted me. Because as someone who wants to be a business owner, someone who wants to, and I say wants to be a business owner, I am a business owner, right? So I have expectations for my employees. But at the same time, I also am an employee. Like I work for others as well. So when I'm working for someone else, do I have the same, am I working with the same level of faithfulness that I expect from my employees? Parents, are you working with the same faithfulness that you expect from your children? Teachers, are you working with the same faithfulness that you expect from your students? Principles, are you working with the same faithfulness that you expect from your teachers? God says, if you aren't faithful in somebody else's, that's somebody else's time, somebody else's money, somebody else's supplies, somebody else's job, somebody else's company, somebody else's business. If you haven't been faithful in theirs, God gives you a job and you show up late every day. Why would he give you your own company to run if you can't even be on time? God gives you a $50,000 job, but you don't tithe $5,000. So why would God give you $100,000? See, I, like for me, and people are like, why do you keep bringing up money? Maybe people aren't like that, but I'm like that. So when God, for me, I want to have more money to be completely honest the world that we live in is run by money money is a very important factor to change lives i want to change lives it is very difficult to do that when you're broke so i want to have an abundance of money to where me changing someone's life does not come down to whether or not i have the finances to do so and so in that i want to make as much money as possible god is asking me and convicting me, and this is, again, a part of why this one has been so hard for me to produce. God is convicting me and saying, do you deserve more money than you have? Have you stewarded over the money that I've given you? Because it's not yours. Even when we go to work and we get a paycheck, that money does not belong to us because our time does not belong to us. If we believe everything that the Bible says, every breath is a gift from God. 
and I could go back to the wages of sin is death, all of the things, yada, yada. But I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to say every breath is a gift from God. If you are alive, if you are functioning, your time on earth is a gift from God. It's his mercy and his grace. And so if we have that mercy and that grace and we've been allowed to use whatever gifts we have and whatever skills we've mastered to make money so that we can have a good life, it is our responsibility to return or tithe 10% back to him. And the Bible says that he will return it to you tenfold. The Bible also says that 90% for you, 90% with God blessing the 10% is better than 100% with no blessing from God. And we also have to know that he is in control of everything if if what we if our lives are destined if our lives have purpose if our lives have a plan then his plan may be bigger than what you're living now but you also have to earn that part of the plan and so he's convicted me with okay if i give you a hundred dollars are you going to tie 10 give 10 save 10 live off 70. And when I see that you can do that, then I'll give you a thousand dollars so that you can tie the hundred, save a hundred, give a hundred, live off 700. And when you do that, I know that you're able to take the 10,000 and tie the thousand, save a thousand, give a thousand, live off 7,000. And then when you're able to do that, I know that you'll be able to get 100,000 and tie 10,000, save 10,000, give 10,000, live on 70,000. And when you do that, I know that you'll be able to get a million and tie the 100,000, save 100,000, give 100,000, live off 700,000. And when you do that, I know that you'll be able to get 10 million and tie the million save a million, give a million, live off seven million. And, uh, and, and my human mind is like, but God, if you were good on the $1 tithe, why do I have to give you, let me take one more. If you do that with the 10 million, I know I can give you a hundred million dollars and you tithe a million, save a million, give a million and live off 97 million hmm. and then i know if i can do that with 10 million i can give you a hundred million dollars and you tie 10 million save 10 million give 10 million and live off 70 million and the human part of me says but god if I feel like giving $1 million away every year is good. Just because I made $100 million doesn't mean I should have to give away $10 million. And he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into internal dwellings. 
okay, so the money I make on earth, part of that good stewardship is giving it. And it may not be 10%. That may not be what God's telling you to give away, but that's what he's telling me to give away. Tie 10, save 10, give 10. Live off 70. Save it for what? Who knows? Give it to who? I don't know. The only one that really has a direct destination is that first 10. When you make a dollar, the first 10 cents goes to God. You make a dime, the first penny goes to God. You make $300 million, the first $30 million goes to God. And we're focusing on, right, the, the human part of us focuses on the, if we're making $100 million, that we're giving $10 million away and saving $10 million. Most of us don't, and that we're tithing $10 million, right? And if you look at the businessman, the businessman is going to say, well, I understand the saving of the $10 million. And I even understand the giving of $10 million to a 501c3 nonprofit organization so you can write it off on your taxes. But do we, God, you were able to survive on my $1 tax and my $10 tax and my $100 tax and my $1,000 tax and my $10,000 tax and my $100,000 tax and my million dollar tax. Why do you need a $10 million tithe, Jesus? And that's when Jesus says, because I blessed you with $100 million. I'm just asking for 10% back. I'm asking for a 10% return, a rebate, whatever you want to call it. If I give you $100 million, you can give me 10 If I give you $100, you can give me $10 and live off the night. And Pastor Mike get, gave this great example in his sermon where he brought up three people and he, he kind of just made the, the parable that Jesus gave a visual one, right? So, but he said, he leaves and he has three people and he says, I'm gonna give you each $10,000, all three of you. So that's $30,000. All I ask is that you give my wife $1,000. And so he has a conversation with his wife and he asks about three, he says, well, that first person, number one, he, he's giving me $2,000 every first of the month, right on time. That second person, he gives me $1,000 first of the month, right on time. That third person, he gave me a thousand the first month, but it was a few weeks late. Then the second month, he only gave me about 300, 700. Then that third month, he gave about 250. Then this month, he ain't gave me nothing. And my question is if we're talking over four months span, right? Each person got $10,000 a month. That's $40,000. They were instructed to give away. 4,000. One person gave away 8,000, so he was left with 32,000. Is that, is that not still 32,000 more than he would have had before? It is definitely. The next person got 40,000, gave away 4,000. The last person got 40,000 and gave away about 2,000. 
And so he got to keep 38,000. The second person got to keep 36,000. The first person only got to keep 32,000. But in the parable that Jesus used, he took from the third and gave to the first. So in Pastor Mike's example, he said, okay, well, I'm just gonna stop giving the 10,000 to that third person because he's not giving the 1,000 to my wife anyway. And I'm gonna give that 10,000 to the first person who's been giving my wife 2,000. So now every month he's getting $2,000 and giving away $4,000. The second person is still getting $10,000 giving away one. So if we take this out for more months, now I've gotten $80,000 and given away $16,000, which still leaves me with $64,000. In this second set, you've still only gotten $40,000, given away four, and got to keep thirty-six. So I've made thirty or $28,000 more than you because I've been more faithful than you. I've been a better steward than you. And so over the lifespan, right, I've gotten $120,000 and I've given away $24,000, but I've kept $96,000. You've gotten $80,000 and given away eight, so you've kept 72. I've made $24,000 more than you just by being more faithful. And that will be, continue to grow exponentially because every month I'm making $8,000 more than you. Or $6,000. So I'm giving away more, but I'm keeping more too because I'm making more. And that's how God is saying he wants to be. He, he says, I need, I need someone who's going to be a generous giver, someone who's going to be a faithful giver, someone who's going to be a great steward, so that I can continue to bless them with more and more. And the more you give, the more you'll receive. The more you give, the more you'll receive. And so you're trying to run around with your fist closed so that you don't lose anything. But if your fist is closed, of course you can't lose anything, but you can't get anything either. You can't put anything into a closed fist. fist. And I remember a few years ago, someone gave me this example, and it may have been Pastor Mike, I don't remember, where they picked up dirt and they closed their fist. And then they started running their hands under the dirt. And when you're running your hands under the dirt, you're not gaining any more dirt in your hand. But he turned his hand over and dirt started coming out of his hand. He said, see, when you close your fist, when you hold on to things so tight that you can't lose them, you will still lose them anyway. Because even when you make the tightest fist, there's still holes for things to get out. There's just not any holes big enough for things to get in. Faithfulness is walking around with an open hand. Because if your hand is open, Whatever falls into it, you can catch it. But if your hand's open, that also means that whoever's around may be able to just take. You can, you're always ready to give to someone. You're always ready to help someone. And so faithfulness to me, the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, is knowing that if I am a good steward with what God has given me, God will continue to bless me to continue giving. 
and I've told people my my biggest goal right now is to be able to give away a million dollars a year. That's my biggest goal right now. But I know that there's going to be a point in time where I get. So in order to give away, if I'm going by my 10% rule, in order to, wait, in order to give away a million dollars a year, I have to make 10 million. And that's good with me. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm okay with that. Because that means I'm living off 7 million. I'm probably living off 3.5 million because, you know, taxes is going to be paid. But I'm able to live off more than what I have. So I can't give away a million dollars now. I don't have it. But this year, I can give away 10% of whatever I make. And I can tithe and I can save 10% of what I make this year. But I also have to recognize that when I get to next year, that 10% will increase if I've been a good steward this year. And so a lot of people don't look at faithfulness. We took a financial view because that's what I'm focused on. That's again, a sermon to myself. And so in talking to myself, I'm literally like making revelations and, 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 and really trying to figure out what God is telling me and figuring out what God is telling me. But it's not just about the finance, right? If I give 10% of my time to God, that's, if there's 24 hours in a day, that means we have, let me, let me do the math for you real quick. If there's 24 hours in a day, that means there's 1,440 minutes in a day, which means I should be given 144 minutes to God. I should be given 144 minutes to others, and I should be given one minute, one hour, oh, 144 minutes to myself, or 7.2 hours. So if I give 2.4 hours to myself, that's a little, a little less than two and a half hours to myself, what does that look like? That could be exercise, that could be reading, that could be studying a skill, Two and a half hours to God, praying, meditating, watching a sermon, reading the Bible. Two and a half hours to others. That could be volunteering my time, coaching, teaching, out, but not getting paid for it, just giving to others. But that leaves me, that leaves me with a thousand and eight minutes. Or 16.8 hours. Now, some of y'all are going to say, well, I work eight hours. That's 8.8 hours. I sleep eight hours. So you have 0.8 hours to do absolutely nothing. 0.8 hours to do absolutely nothing. 0.8 hours to do absolutely nothing. That could be. Now, 2.5 hours, I don't know about y'all, but that time where I'm giving to myself or saving, Eating is going to slide right into that two point because I love eating. Mindless TV. That's me giving to myself. Sometimes that could be my me time. You know, Manny Petties. That can be your me time. Hanging out with friends. That could be your me time. See, that point eight hours is extra. 
to do whatever you want. And that if you're working eight, you're sleeping eight. But you still have enough to give away 2.5 to other people in their time for free. You still have enough to give 2.5 to God, 2.4 to God, and just share with him and delight in him and meditate and study, commune with him. And some of y'all may, if you're in a relationship, some of y'all may need to give 5% of your time or 10% of your time to your spouse. Which may mean that that me time may have some of that saving time, that giving time to yourself is giving to you by giving to your spouse that 2.5 or some of it is just giving to your spouse. Some of you could take 2.5 four hours a day just to spend time with your spouse, right? Just just to talk to your spouse about what they have going on in their life. Two hours and 24 minutes to just talk to your spouse about what they're doing and how they're doing and how they're, you know how many marriages would be saved if, if couples spent two hours and 24 minutes just talking to each other, getting to know each other, asking about their day, seeing how they feel. And it's there. It's the 10% of time. So so this faithfulness, this stewardship that God is leading me on, and y'all, I'm getting these revelations just as I'm talking now, that God is leading me on. He said, I've given you the skills for money. Tie 10, give 10, save 10, live on 70. But he said, he just told me, you can take that and do it with your time. Give me 10% because I've been, again, I told you at the beginning of this, I've been struggling to find time for God. See, that's why I do these sermons to myself because they give me revelations while I'm doing them. So at the beginning of this, literally 50 minutes ago, 55 minutes ago, I'm talking about how I'm struggling finding time to give time to God and I need to find a way to get back into that now that I've that he's given me more to take care of. Now that he's given me more opportunities and more responsibilities, I still need to find that time. And he said, I've already given it to you. I just gave it to you in finance, but you can transpose it to business. So you do have 10% of your, give 10% of your time to me, that's your tithe. Give 10% of your time to others, that's giving. Give 10% of your time to yourself, that's saving. And then live on the other 70. So sleep, work on that other 70. This has been another incredible sermon to myself. I feel rejuvenated. I feel inspired. I feel super connected and close to God. Like this, I appreciate y'all for listening. I'm going to go shout for a second. Have a good week.